0: Well, good morning again. Normally we'd be continuing our study in 2 Timothy, but this morning we have a special treat. But 18 years ago, when I first got here, I met this young man at the time. A little bit older now. Of course, I'm a little bit older too, but uh, uh, we will not talk about that. But anyway... He came in and said, the Lord had, uh want to introduce myself to you and told me who he was. He grew up here in Springfield and said the Lord had called him to Rome, Italy, to pastor a church, Calvary Chapel. I said, whoa. Man, I thought coming from California to Springfield was a big step, but uh, to go to Rome, Italy. And uh, he's been there for 18 years just serving faithfully the Lord. And, and uh, just, yeah, it's awesome. Give that a hand. And so uh, we're blessed. Him and his wife uh, Hope and their kids are all here. They're, they're here visiting family, and uh, and so we are blessed to have them here uh, to share with us this morning. So, if you would welcome Brent Harold. <laughs> guys, if you need a Bible, just raise your hand, so the guys can give one to your seat right now. We'll get that out of the way before we start. Buongiorno. Good morning.
1: Um, I don't know why Tom keeps talking about like my age, like I was a young guy back then and something, you know, he keeps pointing that out. Anyway, I wanted to show you guys a quick video, a little bit, something we put together real quick. Maybe it will help in telling you about what's going on in Rome and Italy, some things that we're doing. I'll maybe make a few comments, and then we'll spend the majority of our time just getting into the word. How's that sound?
2: All right. Go ahead.
1: So that kind of sums it up. I think to some degree, I won't comment much on the importance of why we're there, what we're doing, what's going on, but just would appreciate your prayers. Uh, Right now, I think we're about seven Calvary chapels in Italy. Either there's a few of us that have been going over the last uh, 15 to 20 years, there's a couple that have been started in the last several years. And like I said on the video, we're getting ready to start another one. Um, but, you know, when you consider what's going on in Springfield, Missouri, the Bible Belt, uh, in America, these kinds of things, all the churches that are that are meeting this morning, and you realize um, the scarcity of just kind of fundamental Bible teaching, expositional teaching, that kind of a thing. You could multiply that by thousands, and that's what basically we're facing and dealing with uh, the biblical illiteracy and ignorance that uh, kind of represents Italy. Uh, we have a Bible college, Calvary Chapel Bible College that's going on up there in the north of Italy, our church there at Monte Belluna. And so God's doing good things, but sometimes, you know, when, when you look at the scope of what's going on there, what needs to go on. Italy never had a major awakening, a major revival, you know, since the times of the Apostle Paul. So it's it's pretty daunting, uh, intense, but, you know, God is God, God is good, and he loves Italy and the Italians. And, you know, we, we know that when, if Italy has an awakening or a revival, it, it could really uh, just send espresso into the uttermost parts <laughs> of the world anyway um the last thing i'd kind of update you guys on about what we're doing as a church family and as a mission is that we always prayed from the very get-go you know that we you know jesus said to go and make disciples he told the the apostles he said to go wait in jerusalem for the filling of the holy spirit and then once you get that you need to minister in jerusalem Judea, samaria and the uttermost parts, and so that's always our heart and our vision is not to just be, you know, a church closed in doing our little club, but that we would begin reaching out in the areas around us and, and the Judea and Samaria would be then, okay, now getting outside of our walls and then outside of our town, outside of maybe our our country, and then to the uttermost parts, and we've done that over the last Seventeen years, we some of our first mission trips, as it were, as a small group of believers, were to go into Italy, and actually try to help and encourage small home group kind of works, pioneer works that we're trying to get churches started. Just about a year ago, I took a group of about uh, twelve from our college age group, and we went down to Sicily, and we helped a young guy who's trying to start a Calvary Chapel down in Sicily. But then, you know, considering the uttermost parts, the Lord kind of spoke to my heart years ago when we were really starting the church in Rome about Kenya. And through all the years that we've been there, uh, I just kind of kept putting that back in the lap of the Lord's aid. Okay, what, what is that? What does that mean? What am I supposed to do? And I always kind of sought to be sensitive to it, prayed for Kenya. I always had a kind of, Somewhat of an intuition that I'd probably be used maybe to equip pastors there, um, knowing just that there was awakening revival happening in Kenya, but a lot of the teaching that was going on there wasn't very healthy. And so this last year, when I was back visiting here in Springfield, my dad was sick, um, and I kind of had some extra money that was being provided for me to travel and get here and spend time with him and. And as I was praying while I was even here in Springfield, I, I said, Lord, you know, what? what is this money for? You know, because as a missionary, you should probably learn it as a Christian, but as a missionary, you know, you don't ever just have extra money, you know. And so it's always you learn as you go that this is probably for something that is coming. And so I was like, Lord, what is this money for? And he just said, I want you to buy a ticket to Kenya this year. So I got back. A couple of months later, a friend of mine came into town who was involved in ministry in Kenya years back. And we hadn't been in touch uh, recently. So I said, hey, are you still doing work in Kenya? And he said, yeah, as a matter of fact, I'm going in November. Do you want to go? And I said, yep, for sure. And so I, I went and spent time. And he has a ministry where they're, um, they're taking orphans uh, and widows and they're providing for them. They're providing food and housing, and then they're also seeking to help them to become self-sustaining, you know, like maybe give them a little bit of uh, capital to start, you know, their own little kind of business or just some way that they can actually earn for themselves. But, But one of the incredible things about what they're doing is that A lot of these uh, people are sick. You know, AIDS is rampant. There are a lot of the widows. They're widows because their husbands had AIDS and they died. And then, of course, the widows and many times the kids have AIDS. And so they're left virtually without anything. And then one of the worst things for somebody that's that sick is malnutrition. And so sometimes just feeding them radically changes their, their life, their mental health, these kinds of things. And then obviously if we provide a home or finances to help them pay their rent and then help them to try to get a job, the idea is to not have them dependent on the, the source of income from the West, but it's to get them on their feet, get them healthy and get them healthy spiritually and then see what the Lord might do. And so, I went and did that and helped and served. But then the major thing that I did there was I did a lot of different retreats and conferences with pastors and uh, they, it was very well received. Um, God just did great things. But one of the things that amazed me was that their lack of equipping. And I've said to other people, if you just go to a Calvary Chapel. Almost any Calvary Chapel uh, If you just go for about a year or two and just sit under the teaching as we go through the word verse by verse, chapter by chapter, you have probably been more equipped theologically and biblically than many of those pastors. Those pastors, they get saved in very hyper Pentecostal churches and then they go out and start their own churches and they really haven't been Equipped in some of the basics like I just did things on like inductive Bible study Expositional teaching just kind of breaking it down showing them how to do it how to study how to prepare And um, one of the pastors at one of the Conferences I did he stood up and he said well, we've been taught that that's not spiritual You know to prepare like a Bible study to actually study and I was like Okay, uh, that was wrong. (laughs) That's bad advice and you know it's like if you have people over to your house for dinner and you go well i didn't prepare any food because that's not spiritual (laughs) it's like what would they think but yet we're we're dealing with truth we're dealing with spiritual realities in the kingdom of god and people need to be built up and that means the pastors need to be prayed up studied up equipped and then that they could serve up that spiritual food so Um, I'll leave it with this. You know, if you want to help pray for that or, or give towards that, my, my goal now is to go in a couple of times a year and just equip pastors, just teach pastors that they would be better equipped. And a part of that would be taking resources to them because I found, you know, in our world, uh, couple bucks 10 bucks 20 bucks for a bible is kind of like we don't bat an eyelash at that but for them that's like a month's salary or something so i mean they just don't even have the resources and so i told them i would be praying towards and be dedicated to coming and teaching and helping equip them and bringing them resources to help better equip them so strong's concordances Um, Bible uh, study tools, study Bibles and these kinds of things. And so if you want to give towards that, uh, if you go to the Calvary Chapel Rome website, there's a link for uh, support and donation there. And if you just put travel funds, that is what is being dedicated to the ministry in Kenya. So let's uh, leave it all at that. For now, and let's just maybe stand up, pray, as we open our Bibles to Psalm 89, and we'll get into the Word. We're going to read together from verses 1 to 10, and then I'm going to skip over and read just a th- couple of other verses uh up until chapter uh, verse 33 psalm 89 and then we'll pray and we'll get into the word and then you can sit down <laughs> i will sing of the mercies of the lord forever with my mouth will i make known your faithfulness to all generations for i have said mercy shall be built up forever your faithfulness you shall establish in the very heavens I have made a covenant with my chosen, I have sworn to my servant David, your seed I will establish forever, and build up your throne to all generations, and the heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness also in the assembly of the saints, for who in the heavens can be compared to the Lord, who among the sons of the mighty can be likened to the Lord? God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by all those around him. O oh Lord God of hosts, who is mighty like you, O oh Lord? Your faithfulness also surrounds you. You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. You have broken Rahab in pieces as one who is slain. You have scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. We we'll skip down um, from here to verse twenty-four uh, as he as he opens up this kind of prophetic. Uh, promise about the coming King and the coming Messiah, the one who would be King forever. And the one who by God's faithfulness would be established and would save and deliver. He, he talks about the enemies and, and the foes in verses 20, 21, 22, and 23. But then in verse 24, he comments and says, but my faithfulness and my mercy shall be with him speaking about the anointed king to come. And in my name, his horn shall be exalted. In verse 29, he begins to speak about his descendants, his offspring, as it were. That would be Israel. That would be the church, believers that would follow the Messiah king. And verse 29, his seed also I will make to endure forever. And his throne as the days of heaven. In verses 30 to 32, he comments on the... Lack of faithfulness, the rebellion, the sin, and the issues with his descendants, with his offspring, and how he would have to bring chastening and, and, and discipline and judgment to them. You see that in verse 32, I will punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. But in verse 33, again, he gets back to his promise and his faithfulness, and, and he says, nevertheless, my loving kindness. I will not utterly take from him, nor allow my faithfulness to fail. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your goodness, for your love that endures forever, forever, Lord. And we're just so grateful that you see each one of us as precious in your sight you died on a cross to save us and deliver us, to, to spend eternity with us. You have a plan and a purpose for each one of our lives. You've promised to never leave us nor forsake us. And as we've read just now, Lord, it is all due to your faithfulness. We pray you would demonstrate that very faithfulness even now as we get into your word, as we seek to have ears to hear. What your spirit would say, soften our hearts, Lord, speak prophetically, heal, deliver, convict, have your way in each one of us and show us just how good and faithful you are. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Have a seat. A pretty obvious and rhetorical question to begin Have you ever been disappointed or hurt or afflicted or embittered by someone's infidelity or dishonesty to you? I think it's pretty common, you know, if you're a human being, on a daily basis, uh, for certain, if not in certain seasons of our lives, we will be. Let down, disappointed, hurt, afflicted, broken. Parents, spouses, friends, employers, bosses, neighbors, coaches, our own children, sometimes churches, pastors, other believers, and yes, even politicians. <laughs> I know it's hard to believe. Will disappoint us and will demonstrate. Infidelity, a lack of loyalty and devotion to us, our expectations will be broken and shattered. Proverbs 20 verse 6 states, most will proclaim his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. And when it comes to my own life experience with God... One thing I have found to be true despite my own issues, my own problems, my own failures and rebellion and those kinds of things is that the one attribute of his, the one aspect of his character and nature that has impacted me perhaps the most is his faithfulness towards me. And I, I, you know, talking about faithfulness, I think a lot of times we ourselves begin to think about our own faithfulness. You know what I mean? We begin that that's typically what is emphasized when churches, pastors begin to preach on it. It's like
2: you need to be more faithful. You
1: need to, you know, endure and persevere and try harder and, and these kinds of things. And that is true. But if it's not that we are looking to him And being bowled over by and smitten by and standing in awe of his faithfulness. And that that then therefore is touching us, blessing us, healing us and changing us to then make us to become more, uh, you know, at least to have the desire to be more faithful, then we're in trouble. So this morning I just want to concentrate On God's faithfulness and encourage you in his faithfulness over your life. Um, You know, there's a lot of different scriptures that I could point you to, you know, speaking about his faithfulness. I'm not going to be able to cite them all this morning, but uh, I kind of want to combine them. I will give you the the address if you want to go and check it out later, get the teaching and go back over it or write it down as I kind of spin through it. Uh, then you can study it all on your own. I encourage you to do that, but in First Corinthians chapter one, verse nine, Philippians one verse six, and second Thessalonians chapter three, verse three, these verses tell us that God is faithful, that he is our faithful high priest, that he 's the one who began a good work in us, and that he is the one that will bring it to completion. In the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 25, verse 1. Psalm 89, as we just read in verse 5. Psalm 36, verse 5. Psalm 119, verse 90. Psalm 121, verse 3. Communicate to us that God's faithfulness reaches to the heavens. That it reaches out and touches all generations. And that it will be established. His counsels are established in faithfulness. And truth. Charles Spurgeon said. We do not know which most to wonder at. The faithfulness of God. Or the unbelief. Of his own people. I would suggest to you. That it's pretty clear. We we should not be surprised. At our own weakness. At our own unbelief. At our own failures and issues. And rebellion and sin. We should however. Be in shock and awe and utter disbelief at the faithfulness of God, especially in the light of our sin and unbelief and rebellion and so forth. In Lamentations chapter three, verses 22 and 23, it says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new. Every morning, and Jeremiah concludes, Great is your faithfulness. I love this verse here in Psalm 89 your faithfulness surrounds you. (laughs) You know, you think about the presence of God, the glory of God, that majestic, powerful. Fearful glory that the Bible says the angels can't even behold they cover their eyes and their faces and all they can say is holy, holy, holy John and his vision in Revelation. He's he's raptured into the presence of God, into the throne room, and he sees all of this color and glory and majesty. And and he falls down and he bows down and and the elders are bowing down and everybody is just worshiping, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. The speaking about the glory and the majesty that that emanates from and surrounds God and the psalmist here in Psalm 89 says faithfulness surrounds you. You know, it's just like this. It's a part of his glory, God's faithfulness in Jeremiah. If you take the context of Jeremiah Lamentations, it's a it's a letter of grief. He's weeping, he's mourning because Israel has or Judah better yet has been judged and destroyed by her enemies, and it wasn't a surprise. It was after years after many prophets of God speaking, warning his people, calling them to repentance, rebuking them over their idolatry, their adulteries, their hypocrisy. And Jeremiah faithfully prodded along. He was one of, among all of the false prophets, hundreds of false prophets, telling the king, telling the people, no, no, no,
2: all is well. We'll
1: be fine. God is with us. And Jeremiah, the only one declaring no 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 all is not well you go to the temple you bring your sacrifices but you are idolatrous you are evil you have turned away from god and in the end all the judgment all the destruction comes the smoke the flames the flesh the death the stench and Jeremiah is there to witness it all. And he's writing about it. And he's weeping. And he is broken. And he is just in disbelief. And yet he says, Great is your faithfulness, O God. For because of your love and your mercy, we have not been utterly destroyed and consumed. And can't we all say that? We all deserve death and destruction and damnation and judgment on a daily basis. And yet God only pours out goodness and kindness and grace and help and provision and healing and hope. And all that we need. As we wait upon him, as we look to his hand, he's the good shepherd. And he gives us in place or in spite of our sin and rebellion, he gives us. Love, forgiveness, kindness, help, and he demonstrates his faithfulness. In 1923, Thomas Kisholm and William Runyon composed the great hymn, Great is thy faithfulness, and they took it out of this passage almost verbatim. The words of Jeremiah, as they experienced. In 1923, their own afflictions, their own trials, their own disbelief at the world around them and all the problems and all that was going on. And they said, Great is thy faithfulness, O God, our Father. There is no shadow or turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by mercies, morning by morning new mercies I see. All I have needed thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord unto me. Summer and winter and springtime and harvest, sun, moon and the stars in their courses above, join with all nature in manifold witness to thy great faithfulness mercy and love 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 13 the apostle paul about to die in prison in rome he writes to his son in the faith timothy a young pastor who was had all kinds of issues <laughs> was certainly worried about his own Ability to carry out the the call and and to to be diligent and and in the ministry that his mentor and father in the faith the apostle Paul had exhorted him and left him responsible to do there in Ephesus and Paul quotes to him he says if we are faithless he remains faithful he cannot deny himself. I don't know about you, but I know about me (laughs) and I know about Timothy and I can guarantee you each one of us has discovered again and again and again and again that even though I failed there, even though I didn't hold out, even though I didn't trust, even though I didn't believe, even though I blew it alla grande, you say in Italian, big time. He was still faithful. And this is the beautiful story of the Bible, of the gospel, that God creates all things and creates them perfectly and beautifully so that man could walk with him and commune with him, share in his glory, his life, his love, and these kinds of things. Man blows it, rebels, turns his back on God, gives God the finger, does his own thing, ends up falling into darkness and sin and destruction and all these things, and God makes a promise even in that very moment as he's judging man and and Satan there in the garden in Genesis chapter 3 and he says, there will come a day when the seed of the woman will crush Satan's head. His heel will be bruised, (laughs) but he will crush Satan, sin, darkness, death and all that has been brought on. By this, and then you see here in Psalm 89, he's talking about still future. That psalmist prophetically speaking, looking forward to the seed, to that one, the future hope of Israel, the Messiah, the coming king. You go forward, the king comes, Jesus, God, demonstrates his faithfulness by becoming a man, stepping into flesh and humanity in this world, and he lives. Without sin. He loves perfectly and purely. He, he keeps at bay all the motivations of his heart. Lust and all these things that you and I fall into on a daily basis. That demonstrate our lack of faithfulness. He remains faithful. And in Philippians chapter 2 the Apostle Paul says. He humbled himself. He became a servant. And he was obedient to God. The Father unto God. The point of death, even the death of the cross. So that God exalted him and gave him the name which is above every name, that at his name every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. The faithfulness of God. Jesus offers unto us salvation. Anybody that will believe, anybody that will believe I was God, that I became a man, that I lead to sinless life, that I died on a cross, that I rose from the dead... And paying the the penalty and the price for your sin, I will gift to you freely salvation, eternal life, forgiveness of sin. I will cleanse you. I will cleanse your conscience. I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will lead you and guide you and provide for you. I'll give you wisdom. I will teach you things that are unheard of, things that are unseen. And I have an eternity prepared for you that I hasn't seen nor ear heard All that I have in store for you. Is that faithfulness? Or is it just me? Faithfulness is at the heart of all that God is and all that God does. You look at all the attributes of God. His truthfulness, his holiness, his love, his righteousness, his justice or judgment. And you see that all of these other attributes ensure guarantee to you and I. I will be faithful. Take, for example, his truthfulness. The Bible says that God cannot lie. All the promises are yes and amen in him. Therefore, his word can be trusted. Anything that he says to you can be banked on. Count on. You could take it to the bank. If you, he says, I will forgive you of your sins. If you confess your sins, you go to confess your sins. What's the probability he's going to forgive you in that moment? It's ten and ten. It's a hundred percent. You can bank on it. And look, as we look at the definitions of the word of faithfulness in the scriptures, we look at the Old Testament. There's two words in the Hebrew that are translated in the English faithfulness. One is emunah and the other is emeth. The word emunah means firmness, fidelity, steadfastness and steadiness. That's our God. He is Firm, f- faithful, steadfast. He's steady. You know. You ever meet anybody that's unstable? Yeah. Don't look at your husband, ladies. Or at your you Yeah. I mean, our days are filled with. That is a very unstable person. <laughs> you know, like at the grocery store, at whatever. Humanity. We're falling. We're sick. It's unstable, but there is one who is nothing but. Stable, steady, sturdy. The other word there, that, by the way, is contrasted, we, as we read, even in Psalm 89 and some of the other scriptures I, squo- I quoted to you, those are all contrasted by things that are ever-changing. We live in a world that is ever-changing. You and I are ever-changing. Tom has to comment on how old I am and how old I look now. When I met him, I had hair. We were watching videos at my house the other night at Grandma's house, videos of when the kids were born and, and this and that. And, uh, you know, my kids were like, Daddy, you had dark hair, you had hair, Daddy, you were skinny and all this stuff. You know, it's like, welcome to the world. Welcome to aging. Welcome to death. <laughs> welcome to this planet. But so I'm always changing. You know, I have good days and bad days. You know, people have hormones and testosterone and the, uh, what do you call that? The bank or the, 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 where you invest stock, the stock exchange, the market, the stock market. There you go. See, a lot of times I'm not functioning in the English speaking world, so I can't find even the words of concepts anymore. But, point is, these things, this word about God's faithfulness. And the other words I'm going to translate for you, they are contrasted by everything that is ever-changing and wishy-washy, unstable, superficial, and so on and so forth. But God never changes. He says, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. You can count on him. You don't ever have to worry. What's God thinking today? What's he feeling? Oh, no. Did he have a bad day? Did something happen in the universe? Is he going to... Have a temper with me today. He never changes and his promises are never changing. He cannot lie. It goes against his very nature. So his attributes guarantee to us his faithfulness. Um, The other word emeth means firmness, faithfulness or truth. You ever, you know, know when someone's lying to you? They're not telling you the whole truth or, you know, they're deceiving you. They're leaving something out, you know. You know, it's the kid in the cookie, the hand in the cookie jar thing. And you know, all. it's like, oh, I didn't eat anything. You know, it's chocolate on the face, the jar, the lids off the cookie jar. You know, it's like, because you're lying to me. I know you're lying to me. I saw you. I, you know, I heard you or whatever. It's like, no, no, no. God, you know, he's never going to deceive you. He's never going to give you half truths. And sometimes that's the thing people don't like about God. This is what you're going to get here. You're going to get the truth. (laughs) But thank God, it is laced with grace. Truth is, you deserve death, hell, and punishment. You're a sinner. You're separated from God in your sins. But He died on a cross for you. He rose from the dead. He will forgive you, cleanse you, make you His child, and give you eternal life. It's a free gift. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. You can't buy it. You can't go be a missionary. You can't do good works. Nothing that you do will ever earn God's love or favor or acceptance other than the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And you can only just put your faith and trust in that. Believe it. So the other word here is, um, as I, I said, emeth, which means firmness, faithfulness, and truth. But both of these words, they are they have a root word. It is Aman, which means to build up or to support. And this word conveys the idea of firmness or certainty and is the original source of our word. Amen. When you believe something, when you know it to be true, when you can count on it, bank on it, and there's no doubt about it, you go, hey, man. And that's what. God's nature and character. His faithfulness to us is yes and amen. His promises to us are yes and amen. You don't have to doubt it. In the New Testament, the word peace, those translated faithful, faithfulness is trustworthy, diligent, faithful, sure and true. There's four areas where God demonstrates his faithfulness. I've kind of already mentioned them, but I'm going to give you a couple of details about them. One, as I've said, is His character. I would simply add to what I've already said, that the very name of God and the very names of God imply and demonstrate His faithfulness. Jehovah Rah, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Shammah, Jehovah Tzikkanu, Jehovah Meg Kodiskam, El Olam, Elohim, Kana, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Shalom, and Jehovah Shabbat, just to name a handful. They mean the following. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord that heals. The Lord is there. The Lord our righteousness. The Lord who sanctifies the everlasting God. God jealous. The Lord will provide. The Lord is peace. The Lord of hosts. Does that not say faithfulness? That's who he is. That's his essence. That's his personality. That's all he can be and can do. He can do no other thing. And so the second aspect or area in which we find the faithfulness of God is in his word. As I've already described in Psalm 119, to 90, his word is equated with or is an expression about his character. And we see again. His promises, his faithfulness, he cannot lie, and he will be faithful to do what he said he is going to do. You'll never find a time in the scriptures where God said he was going to do something, whether it was, uh, you know, leading Abraham, giving him a country, making him a father of many nations, or whether it was healing someone, or judging a nation, or whatever it may be. You'll never find a place where he says something and then doesn't do it. And doesn't do it exactly as he said he would do it. And that's why we look back at the prophecy of the Old Testament and all that went on with with Israel and the the pagan nations around them. And we saw the, the prophetic... You know giving of of the promises of the coming Messiah and he would come and he would deliver he would die on a cross he would be buried and and that then the things to come later he would establish a kingdom he would come back and return to this earth he would rule and reign for a thousand years he would judge the nations he would he would condemn Satan and the false prophet to everlasting burning fire of hell and judgment he would have a great white throne judgment judge all wickedness and all the wicked and that then he would create a new heavens and a new earth do you think that since everything that happened in the past as he said it would happen happen and then that jesus came as he said jesus always said according to the scriptures i must do all that is written and then he did it do you not think that now everything that remains unfulfilled is not going to be fulfilled exactly as he said it would i guarantee you it will Not because I'm anybody, not because I'm smart or or cocky, confident, but just because I know him and I trust in his faithfulness. I see it proven again and again and again. And so I can now say, (laughs) I guarantee it is going to come to pass. So he's faithful in his word and and in his promises. And, And I've already talked about how he's faithful to his people, in his people. You look at Israel, man. If there were ever people that just should not exist, it should be Israel, right? Humanly speaking, you know, you kind of look at them, you're like, Oh man, he you know, says like raining down manna from heaven. They're whining, moaning. Moses is leading them out of slavery in Egypt and they're complaining. They want to go back. They want to eat. They want to be slaves. They prefer to be slaves rather than be free. He parts the seas, they go through, they part the Jordan, Joshua, they go through, they have victories, they're taking territory. And all along they just keep whining, they keep walking in disobedience, they they, they, um, take on the gods of the pagans around them. They they get so sick that they end up offering up their own children to the gods of Molech and burning their kids on the fires, you know, seeking prosperity and, and fertility and these kinds of things that the pagans did. And, and God tells him, I'm, I'm going to judge you guys for that. I ain't going to put up with that. And then he tells him, but I will be faithful to preserve you. I will be faithful to fulfill my word to you, my promises to you. And the Messiah will come. And one day Israel will be called blessed. And, and I'm going to rule and reign from Jerusalem. And my people, Israel, are going to be saved. You know, you go, what? And then you look at yourself. And you see how you're like Israel, and how you complain, and how you whine, and how you uh, make big, big, big mistakes financially, relationally, and whatever, and yet God loves you, and he forgives you, and he's faithful to you, and when you deserve to be zapped out, he comes through, and you get a job promotion, you get healing, you get, you get that, that relationship gets restored, there's forgiveness, whatever, and you go,
2: oh, you
1: know, Tom said, I've been there 18 years, I've been faithful, I haven't been faithful, God's been faithful, it is but by the grace of God. That we've been there all along doing what we've been doing. We we look at ourselves all the time and just go, we are idiots. We are, we are carnal. We are weak. We are foolish. And, and yet God says, the foolish and base things of the world, I love. I love to use them as my vessels. If you'll just yield to me, surrender to me, confess your sins to me, depend on me. And so he is trustworthy and that's that's how i would kind of close out everything that i want to share with you this morning is now not only how god is faithful by his own nature and character not how we see his faithfulness in his word or through his people historically and in the scriptures in the new testament and the life of jesus the life of the apostles i mean everybody denied him everybody ran for the hills Peter denied him three times there at the fires of the enemies, basically. And then in the end, Jesus comes and restores him and says, Peter, you're my man. Feed my sheep. Minister to the the flock and be faithful. And and he said, Satan is going to want to sift you and destroy you. But don't worry. I prayed for you. I'm with you. Even to the end of the age. He totally commits himself to them over again and again and again, despite all their ridiculousness. And you go, man so faithful well now i look to myself i share a couple of stories and say let me show you how god's been faithful in my life i i could tell you stories all day but um you know the first thing is just reviewing a few scriptural concepts where we see god's faithfulness he's he's faithful despite our sin the Bible says that while we were still yet sinners, God demonstrated his love for us in that, while we were yet sinners, he died for the ungodly. The Bible says we were enemies of God. Do you understand? It's not just like, well, we're kind of good people, and you know we've kind of done some good, and there's a little bit of merit there. No, no, no. Jeremiah said... The, the heart is deceitful, desperately looking above all all things who can know it. it. It is without cure; it's that dark and evil. And yet He loves us enough to leave His glory. Come, become a man to suffer, to be a man of sorrows, to pay the penalty to die, to have his, his beard ripped out of his face, to be whipped, to be treated worse than an animal, and left in a condition that is unrecognizable as a human being, though he was innocent, pain for your sins and my sins. I look at that and I go, I was out there, man, I accepted Jesus Christ when I was nine years old, was not raised in a Christian home, heard the gospel weeping, thinking that, wow, God loves me like that. He, and I knew I was a sinner. You didn't need to convince me. I was nine years old. I was stealing, smoking, looking at porno, all kinds of, you know, drama for a kid that age. And, um, And so when I heard, you know, you're a sinner, but God is holy... You didn't have to convince me that I was like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, amen. And then when I heard that he loved me so much that he became a man, he lived a sinless life, died on a cross to pay for my sin so that I could be forgiven and have eternal life and spend eternity with him. That he wanted to be my father and my shepherd and all this kind of stuff. I was like, I've
2: got to have that.
1: I went up, I accepted Christ, I got baptized, I never really got plugged in, never really got discipled. Their fault, my fault, I don't know. When I, by the time I was 24, I was way out to lunch, you know, just entrenched in drugs, alcohol, sin, rebellion. I didn't believe in God anymore. I got, you know, I got bamboozled by uh, academics, philosophy, being a hippie, you know, Eastern uh, kind of religion, philosophies, karma, you know, just, oh, a bunch of just a disgusting mess. So I was in the cesspool. And as I began to look to my need, my inner need, and just go, this, this sucks. This world sucks. People suck. I suck. This all sucks. What's, there's got to be something. If there's not, what's the point? And as I began to look out and say, God, are you out there? Are you real? Jesus, who is it? What's going on? What's the truth? Jesus came to me, and he demonstrated to me, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I never left you or forsook you from the time you asked me into your life when you were a nine-year-old boy. I have been with you the entire time. And that just broke me. It broke my heart to think that I had been doing all that I've been doing, saying all that I've been saying, all my arrogance and pride and wickedness and just dragging him through it as he was loving me perfectly in that way. And that in that moment he would say, I love you. I'm here. Just, just confess your sin to me. I'm yours. We'll, we'll, we'll do this together. And man, he, he, just poured out grace on me and filled me with His Holy Spirit and just changed my life forever. He called me to ministry. I didn't deserve to scrub the toilets in the church, let alone pray with the saints or or bring the word of God to the body of Christ. Let alone go out and be his representative, his ambassador, and tell people about the greatest story man has ever known, about the greatest love and the greatest sacrifice, and say, "I'm, hey, I'm representing Jesus. You know, I come from I'm from heaven. I, he's my Lord. I want to tell you about him. You know, that, that's a privilege. That's a gift." Paul said, "I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God that leads people to salvation." Well, then he called me to the mission field. I want you to be a leader in my church, start churches, plant churches, be a pastor. I was like, what? You know, all kinds of craziness, opposition. He said, don't worry. Trust me. Look at me. Depend upon me. I will be faithful. I will equip you. I will do it. Okay, Lord. You do it. We got out there. We, we you know, I mean, we had so many... Uh, painful losses and trials and tribulations and you know have you ever seen that movie what's that movie was babe the the ridge hacksaw readage you know it's a war movie it, it's it's rated r whatever i watched it and man you can't help but just be just just stricken by that uh here's this guy believes what he believes, believes in the Lord, he wants to enlist, he wants to serve his country, but he, he refuses to take up arms, to shoot anybody, to kill anybody. They, they railroad him, they come against his character, they, they do everything to just out him, and make him out to be a coward, and all this kind of stuff. He sticks his ground, he goes through court-martial, he ends up going to war. They, they go to this battle, up on this ridge, the, the, the army's just getting mowed down, to the point that at night, they, they all go down off the ridge to go get healed up, saved up. Those that lived and survived, he stays up there by himself. And he's just praying to God all night long. And he's like, just help me to save one more man, one more guy. And you see the faithfulness of this one man, to trust in God, to depend on God. And he saves Like 70 lives, men, and he lowers them down the ridge all night long all by himself. This is a true story. But that's nothing in comparison to the faithfulness of God. We have many losses. I've lost brothers Um, I've lost, you know, aunts and my, my nephew or my cousin and his wife were shot and murdered in their home one morning in Seattle. I was having a prophecy conference trying to minister the gospel. I get a phone call. My cousin's been shot dead. Him and his brand new wife, young, every just future ahead of them. You know, you, you go through these things and you're just thinking, what is going on? And, and the pain and the suffering and the tears and you know, my wife, she, we lost her dad like the first six months we were on the mission field. We had a miscarriage our first Christmas Eve over there. You know, just just pain and suffering. And lot you say, how can we get through this? How can we survive? What do we do? You know, we went with like 500 bucks a month support. Our rent was already 700. And I was like, how are we going to make it? How are we going to do this? And, and God says... I will be faithful. I will do it. And he did do it. And he comforted it. and he helped. And he worked good out of very bad things. I came back here to Springfield. I did my young little brother's funeral. He was like 35 successful uh businessman, making money, this and that. I came back, did his funeral. You know, some of his friends drew near Christ. I prayed with one guy to, to accept the Lord. It's like... You know, when, when that's happening, you're like, what, what is this? How could good come out of this? What's the point? And then God says, I promise you, all things work together for good of those who believe and are called. And then you say, well, how are you going to use this? And then he may show you, he may not. But I've seen a thousand times over how he's worked it all for good. You know, we, we weren't going to have kids. We, we had miscarriages. It was painful. My wife didn't want to go through it anymore, didn't want to try anymore. She said, until God shows me something, until he does it, we're not doing that. And... Uh, a few months later, we had a prophecy conference, or not a prophecy conference, we just had a conference, but there was there was a time of just praying, waiting on the Lord, and the guy was like, hey, I think somebody's here, maybe they've lost a child, or this or that, and the Lord wants to speak to your life, and heal you, whatever, and if, a, if you think that's you, raise your hand, and you know, as, as she raised her hand, and some women came around to pray for her, pro- prophecy was kind of coming out, And they were like, you're you're going to be healed. You're going to have kids. You're going to have not only are you going to be able to have a child, you're going to have more kids. And right now, two of my daughters are sitting right over there. And the oldest one, she was conceived like two
2: weeks later.
1: But you see, God's faithfulness, you know, when we don't know what, when we don't know why, when we don't know how. And he's working and he's blessing and he's ordering and he's healing and he's changing. And he's saying, it's not about you. It's not up to you i will do it i am faithful i am good we've had so many financial situations Uh, i'll just share one or two with you maybe briefly and and close up here but um well you know even the one time we got pregnant with our third child and we'd already had two births and pregnancies in rome they didn't go so well so we were a little like stressed out and we're just we were praying and we're like lord Anywhere but here, can we get? We had friends in England, Germany. And I was like, Can we get, go have this baby somewhere else? And every door just closed, closed, closed. And we were so frustrated and disappointed. And but we were just waiting on the Lord, trusting the Lord. And then finally, we said, Lord, okay, if you want us to have the baby here, fine, it's in your hands. We love you, we trust you. And I kid you not. You know, we went to go get our paperwork from, you know, you got to have a visa kind of a thing to live there. We went to pick it up shortly after that, and they were like, You got 15 days to get out of the country. We're like, What? And so we had to renew our paperwork. We came back to America. She was eight months pregnant. We had to get a a, a note by a doctor just for her to fly. We got to Boise, Idaho, where our lives kind of were, and we were like, We had no money, we had no insurance. You know, it's like, How are we going to have a baby in America? With no insurance, no money, all this. And the Lord just worked it all out. We ended up getting, you know, Medicaid and all this. And, and we had a baby, and it went off without a hitch, no pain. We got this great Christian doctor, and we had our little baby boy, and he was healthy. We, we Three weeks later, we got our visas, which was a miracle. We got religious workers' visas, because we told the Lord, we said, if we don't get religious workers' visas, we, we're not going back. We're taking that as your sign that we're done in Italy and that was nine years ago. The Lord is faithful and the Lord is good. I, I, I could tell you stories all day long. I just met with my cousin here, at my, my niece. She got addicted to drugs. She, she started taking some sort of whatever, Oxycontin for uh, a gallbladder surgery, got hooked, got addicted, and it led her down the path all the way to heroin addiction. Um, she had warrants out for Yeah, her life was a mess and she was just this beautiful gorgeous little just middle class America little gal and then she just became a junkie on the streets running from the law and we were just praying all the time God just just cover her protect her bless her get her arrest her get her sober get a hold of her and the next thing you know she's in jail she's in prison she served her time and, and now she's out she's walking with the lord she's seeking god she's she's totally clean she got a job she's got a new boyfriend and she's just like and she's giving glory to god and i'm just like that that is the faithfulness of god so let's stand up as the worship team comes up to close us out if that's legal i don't even know i'm probably past the time like always but, you know, I had a friend of mine, he came to Italy to serve with us. He was, he was this construction worker guy, big strong ox, and he was having back pains. And one day he came to church, he was all kind of yellowy, and a nurse in our church, a doctor in our church, she said, man, you, you look kind of yellowy, this isn't good. Took him into the hospital, and they said he had pancreatic cancer, and basically sent him home to die. Stage four pancreatic cancer, he came back to America and he was doing chemo and then he went on this dream hike, you know, like I always wanted to go on this big hike or whatever up in the mountains with his family. And while he was up there, he kind of felt a pop or a sensation in his body. And he was like, Lord, did you just heal me? And he just knew he felt the Lord healed me. They went in to do surgery to repair his bu- ducts and bile ducts and all the stuff no cancer that's god is that's the faithfulness of god so whatever you're going through today wherever you're at whatever your situation is your circumstances you've been away from the lord you've been walking in sin and rebellion you don't know the lord whatever it is your marriage is in trouble your kids are rebelling what whatever it is don't look at yourself look to him Know that his nature, his character, he guarantees his faithfulness. Look to his word, look to his promises, and I promise you, he will bless you, he will help you, he will provide, he will make a way out of temptation and whatever it is. So as we close in this worship song, keep all that in mind, and God bless you.